welcome to Talking Walking, hosted by Andrew Stuck from Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. Talking Walking brings you interviews with people from the world of walking, artists, activists, professionals, and those of us who have a passion for just taking a walk. Twenty radio transmitters were concealed along a three-mile route beside the M11 A12 Link Road in East London by artist Graham Miller, who in 2003 created a trail of sound that celebrated the everyday lives of the householders whose homes were destroyed along the route when the motorway link was built. Unusually for a talking walking interview, I'm sitting with Graham Miller rather than accompanying him on a walk. It's a weekend in September 2022 at which linked the work he made almost 20 years ago is being reprised, and he's having to mount a kiosk on a roundabout from which he's handing out radio receivers. As will be revealed in the following conversation, Graham creates work in which listener walkers become the performers. We're sitting here on the middle of a, of a sort of large A road or motorway roundabout. Why? Yeah. Well, we're actually sitting in the middle of the roundabout but we're sitting maybe sort of 20 meters below us is the a12 in its motorway form called the m11 link road which is really the the sort of thematic content of um, linked this piece so we're, we're in the sort of epicenter of it and this is also where i launched this piece 19 years ago in the summer we had a marquee up in this very spot we're sort of literally hanging over the motorway as we sit here i often interview people who use walking as part of their creative practice and what i'm kind of interested in here is that we're um, interviewing someone who's actually created a, an installation which you have to walk through to discover but you can only discover it in a kind of quirky or obtuse sort of way yeah I'm really interested in places and I'd, I'd already done a piece with radio transmitters before this piece in 2003 in 1994 it was an Art Angel project that was done across Salisbury Plain, across about 20 miles of Salisbury Plain. And I just got really interested in that landscape and what it takes to be really out in it and to be slightly lost. That sort of knowledge I gathered from there. And, and to find something, I mean, basically a kind of treasure trail was emerging and the mentality of finding something but not making it too easy to find so so as well as walking walking was definitely how people would go and I was I was already interested in the poetics of walking and setting up listening and walking seemed really interesting and of course you know it was to do with easily affordable headphones the Sony Walkman this enabled this kind of possibility and so in a sense, those pieces really... I, I don't know what the history of, of sound walks is, other than that they're, they're everywhere, uh, I think. They're, they've really become something, and people have no doubt taken them in, into different sort of areas and different levels and different content. But the idea of walking and listening seemed to suit my idea of landscape very well, because landscape, you think of something outside yourself, 
and for me landscape would suddenly reverse suddenly the landscape would be looking at you you would be a figure in the landscape the observer becomes observed by by that landscape and so as with this piece you would actually stop and listen so it was as much about stopping after walking and pausing before you walk again as actually a continuous continuous trail it wasn't a flowing soundtrack it was about stopping and in a sense becoming one of those sort of human triangulation points you become a sort of pylon yourself in the landscape and you know, the act of listening and spending maybe as you would hear eight minutes static it is interests me as much as the walking does the the creation of the road that we're now sitting above meant that several houses one of which you lived in at the yeah. time? Yeah, when we say several, it's between four and five hundred. Incredible. And Incredible. Uh, one of them was mine, yeah. So my own house was um, summarily demolished in a sudden, awful, dramatic day where 30 police and bailiffs stormed the house, dragged us out, and 24 hours later, the house was demolished before our eyes. So that, that was quite a... It was interesting being someone who's kind of interested in presence, absence, place, time, all these, these sort of nice poetic, artistic abstracts suddenly came pouring in through my front door and with it a certain degree of politics. And uh, within a year I had the idea of doing what I'd done with Art Angel in Salisbury along the M11 Link Road partly because I'd witnessed over the years the kind of oh, tissue right. damage oh, right. that the yeah. demolition does. It, it was really more harrowing really to watch houses just sort of oh, wow. suddenly disappearing like teeth. <laughs> and, of course, the, 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 the sort of actual trench that runs yeah, through this neighbourhood now, it made you realise what makes a neighbourhood is this sort of mutual witnessing process that goes on. One side of the street looks at the other side of the street. And when that's interrupted, it's quite traumatic. So linked was intended to be a sort of structure that would do repair some of that damage. It, it, was, it was also a little bit of an act of re revenge at first but it became something else. What it is is a haunting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know in what period of time haunting became popular, but buildings that were demolished or were left redundant were often haunted uh, by people putting sounds into them. But when they put the sounds into them, they would broadcast them through speakers. You yeah. did something slightly different with the radio transmitter. Yeah, uh, with the radio you're involved in something that is slightly spectral anyway. You know, it is energy. So that idea of the sort of psychic vibrations of events inhabiting the stones of buildings and that those, those buildings become sort of stone tapes works very nicely and it doesn't take people long to sort of physically tune into something to get that idea that there is actually an energetic footprint there and that it's for me now that over the years the transmitters have started failing and very few people go because of distribution points the fact is they are broadcasting they're speaking but nobody's listening and that's really like somebody sort of trapped in a in a sort of remote radio station that doesn't know the war's ended and they're still physically speaking um, and in to some extent 
it is really there if you were to just look at from space the the, the thing through an electromagnetic lens you would see around the lampposts between Hackney and Redbridge you'd see little pools of electromagnetic energy that are encoded with voice. How many of these little boxes did you hang from uh, lampposts? There's 20 of them between Hackney Marshes and um, Redbridge roundabout so that's over three miles and they exist, they're on the edges of where the, the motorway is. So often they're in the truncated end of a street, or in the case of a street called Colville Road, there's half the street left, all the trees have gone, and there's a, there's a sort of funny half street um, left with a great wall down the other side that falls down into a great trench of motorway, and you can just sort of vaguely smell the grime and pollution and hear, hear this sort of humming noise sort of everywhere in this neighbourhood but it's, yeah, you, you're going to go on an interesting walk and for me I love the idea that people would go for a walk in Leighton and Leytonstone because they're not classic sort of hiking venues It's like a sort of area that no one kind yeah. of discovered Yeah, it, it's sort of like that I mean it's being gentrified sourdough and microbreweries are, are emerging to my complete amazement but it, in a way it, it, its pleasure was, was it being a kind of an area of greengrocers and, and bus stops and schools and sort of ordinary life and of course everything is interesting and to go for a walk and of course what happened is that that super ordinariness between Essex and London here culturally I suppose that ordinariness when something really dramatic happens which it did when it's suddenly removed or a chunk of it suddenly removed yeah, you, you had headline news yeah national headline yeah, news it was it was extraordinary I mean 2,000 police moved into the area my house was encapsulated in what was called the sterile zone so I had to drive my son to school and carry my passport and show it to the police at the at the border that was just across the road so I suppose for people who'd lived in Belfast or Derry, Londonderry that would not seem that strange because that kind of thing happened but it didn't happen in suburban London for sure Okay, so we're sitting now above the motorway. It's a lovely sunny day. You've really organised this well. for a great <laughs> weekend uh, in September. This is a... Well, you, it's a reenactment, or that's not really the right word. I suppose what's the right word? A restoration. It's a bringing back to life. I, I think of it as like an opening of the tomb, you know, in, that once a year, as they do in Madagascar, they open the graves and bring the bodies out. And there's a, something about the recorded voice that is deeply connected to this idea you're talking about haunting and, and that the voice in particular and the listen to voice is a sort of revivification of moments and of people I, I don't know if you know that in the recordings my team of interviewers would ask people to describe the past in the present tense so very often what you'll hear is somebody saying well I'm looking out of the window and I can see Francis down in the garden. Well, there are books flying out of the library in the wind. And, and those things, because they're spoken in the present tense, really sort of bring it back to life. So bringing the whole work back to life and the way the individual components of it 
sort of bring past moments back to life, all, all sort of works. And it's as much as we can do at the moment. We may, rest- I may be able to restore the whole work with time and with money, but for now, with a small Arts Council grant, I've been able to, to bring this work back. And but, but interestingly enough, have you chosen it only to be available for two days yes. a year? Yes. So, so this is something else that Graham Miller gets up to, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things I've done that sometimes I thought is crazy is m- not make this work available. This huge amount of editing and compositions gone into each one of these things. Nobody gets to hear it. But I've maintained this rule that you can only hear it here. That I've not made the sound files. And sound files are freely available. They're everywhere. And I've kept these as being very site-specific. You've got to walk here. You've got to be here. You've got to stand under that lamppost. You haven't been tempted by geolocating them on an app. In a sense, they seem very similar things. They're both ways of doing... I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm very aware of, of that. And it, it will do certain other things. So I think in, in say, highly politicised um, zones, you can very quietly bring with you audio. But what they do, you have access to something. It's just the technology there to stop you listening to it until it decides you can. <laughs> What happens here is that the work exists and it's up to you. You have the access. As long as you have a receiver, you can go and listen to it at any time. And also multiple people can listen to it. And materially, it's there. It's a thing. And and that really excites me. And I I didn't know that at the time because analogue radio was the only way of doing this. But actually, the analogue in the digital age has become it, it brings like all materials have poetics and the poetics of analogue radio are really great so this is there's a sort of cult following amongst people who are radio artists and interested in radio I said to them shall I think I should put it on a you know GPS based app said, no because it would be denaturing it in some way but also you've also gone a little way towards it because you had a kind of reenactment uh, with a live performance yesterday, not on site in the specific site, mm. but not that far away. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. That was a thing called Sound Table. And when you say performance, it, it was performative, I suppose, but really it's a kind of, it's sort of space set up a bit like a round table radio studio with mic- mics around a table and five people at a time get to speak. But in the room, I'd carefully invited people who were former artists who'd lived here, local residents, people who still live here. Former housemates, I understand, as well. Former housemates as well. Uh, And a really interesting group of people. But the idea was to create a kind of rolling conversation that's pretty much unsteered and to record that. So so a bit of the, the philosophy behind the work is actually about rebuilding narrative, that um, you could see the road, and roads, I think, as well as doing other damage environmentally, I think they do narrative damage. They're places where even... If you break down on the edge of a motorway and you're sitting there amongst the shredded tyres, you get the feeling that even though quite violent and dramatic things happen on that motorway, there's no witnessing going on. They're, They're sort of too linear, too fast, too dirty to actually retain any historical time. And so when they go through neighbourhoods, they have a sterilising effect. 
and um, this thing where people are walking and building other layers of their own narrative, even talking about when they did the walk. Uh, someone's saying, oh, we did it at night. And for me, it was a little bit of an exercise in working out what it means after 19 years, but also getting a little bit of a flavour of those, those sort of subsequent stories that are building around links. So links sort of like... Bait, you know, it's like a structure that draws in new stories, and that's that was what that piece was about. Well, well, I have to say that I think it's quite amusing that I've known someone you've known far longer, uh, Helen Ottaway, and uh, I was chatting with her over a cup of coffee, and I was talking about one of those sort of seminal works that sort of kind of influenced me in getting involved in sound and walking and I said oh you know the, the Graham Miller work and, he, and she said well I know Graham really well yeah. you know and yeah. that's what's brought us to meet, meet today yeah. and it was uh, just good timing wasn't it lovely no absolutely so Helen is someone who is part of the band uh, Jeremy Payton Jones's band that rehearsed in our house in Grove Green Road and then subsequently Helen collaborated on my first sort of music theatre piece that was about place, it was actually about a place and so those sort of threads of landscape, I mean it's, it's glorious to have that long sort of track record and wonderful that she's out there making work. Well, well let's go to your track record because what I'm kind of interested in is you've made lots of radio, you've done a, a lot of audio work, you've done theatre work as well as a, there's a whole range of performance involved in your career. Amongst the various things I sort of looked at through your website, well, there are quite a lot of walking pieces. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about you mentioned when you talked about Salisbury, you said you like the idea of people getting lost. So there's a sort of situationist, leaderboard kind of philosophy going on here with Graham Miller. Is that right? That's bang on, really. I, I think that idea that really I'm inviting ordinary people to perform listening here and that, that's similar to say a piece of my like counterpointer where I'm getting again ordinary people to ring a bell sort of for something against something spontaneously responding to landscape and to put them in that sort of strange slightly risky position because I think people really have the instincts to know and people did know exactly when to ring those bells they didn't need special didn't need to go to drama school they just know because they're citizens and they're sort of people who are psychically aware of landscape and who use landscape as a sort of read-write surface and, and I think we all tend to do that so being a sort of creating structures uh, and recipes that will sort of document that and show that and or amplify that really interests me. So sound often features, but place, I think place, and as you said, situation is a great, great word because you find yourself, you know, in, in a slight sort of jeopardy. So um, the map for this piece is deliberately doesn't tell you where the transmitters are. You've got to follow a red line with the idea of being slightly lost in Leytonstone, you know. Yeah. And would you say also then the sort of thread that runs through your work is performative? Yeah, I didn't think that, but I, I recognise that thing. And, and so, yeah, I'm interested in creating spaces where people can listen. So the idea of co-listening is performance. I, I sort of came at works like this from a background in very left-field theatre, but really 
what I was doing was making the listener the performer, and it is it is sort of theatrical in a way, and it's a reciprocal. So other people see other people with headphones and thinking, what what are they up to? It's, it's part of that kind of questioning and activation of space. So I think the thing I've done is just leave the not entirely, but leave the theatre behind and, and go out into into the landscape. You haven't written fictional stories. You've been a, more like a oral historian. Is that right? Yes. We had a fantastic relationship with the Museum of London on this, and all of my whole interviews have gone to them. But what I do is I, I create something that's super fragmented, super broken up and recomposed. So I go in directions an oral historian you know, would quake at, but it's kind of interesting. I think it brings out another truth, but because I'm taking the source person and I'm taking some of the phrases they say, but actually, and that's my performance background, I'm addressing the listener. I'm actually creating a kind of game with the listener walker you know it's them that I want to sort of get to be haunted you know I I want to haunt them that's what I want to do and I'm using those other people's voices to to make that happen you've been listening to Talking Walking brought to you by Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking in this episode you've heard from Graham Miller if you have any views on this interview or any walking issues We would love to hear from you. Just follow the links on the Talking Walking website. We look forward to having you along for future episodes of Talking Walking. Written, recorded and produced by Andrew Stark of Rethinking Cities Limited, our artwork is designed by Ian Martin of Aardvark Graphics, and the music is composed by Simon Sanders of Easy Tronic.